Now, many of you know this, but I'm a big fan of Marvel. Uh, Is is it okay to say that on the pulpit? Uh, That's not an unholy thing to say, right? I'm a big Marvel fan. Ever since I saw the first Spider-Man movie, uh, uh, it it was was just something that I really clinged on to, something that was just part of my life. I I grew up watching all the comics and, and, and learning about these figures. So when it came into like the cinematic universe, it just blew my mind. And so I, I fell in love with Marvel. And so when Avengers Infinity War came out in 2018. This was when, you know, Timothy was about uh, maybe eight months old. Like, he, he wasn't that old. Um, it was a big deal for me. Uh, I haven't been to the movies for a while, right? And, and I suffered through the parenting, all the endless nights of, of, of Timothy crying and, and just being there. And so I really, really wanted to see this movie. And so I asked my wife gently, uh, honey, can I, can I go watch this movie? And she's like, yeah, sure, you can go watch the movie. And really, for the first time in my life, I went to the movie theaters alone. Large popcorn, right? And, and I thought it was going to be awkward, because like, that's, that's one reason I never went to the movies alone. I, I don't want to be that person who's like watching a movie alone, and people are judging you. But it, it was a great experience. Like, uh, no, I, I miss my family, obviously. But, <laughs> but <laughs> for those two hours, uh, it, it was a great experience, because um, this movie was not just a movie, but it was a movie that, you know, really, the past 10 years, the Marvel Universe, it was building up to this one moment where all the different characters would come in and, 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 um, and the f- main story would unfold through this one movie. So it was great. And so I, I came back home. I shared how great it was. My, my wife, she didn't really care too much because she wasn't a big Marvel fan. She saw a couple movies before, but later on we went to Korea. We had a trip, and in the plane, she got to watch Infinity War through that tiny screen. And, 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 so, <laughs> and so I asked her the question after, after that, what do you think about the movie? And, and she's like, it's all right. Like, it, it was okay. And for me, that was like the best movie by far. And, 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 and so, I, I, I mean, I kind of understand because she was in a plane watching this tiny screen with a baby next to her. And so, of course, it's going to be hard to concentrate. But for her, it wasn't as impactful. She didn't feel the weight of the movie because she was jumping in to that movie. She didn't know what was going on between different characters, how uh, different characters developed and their relationship, the tension that exists between the Avengers and all that. And so she didn't really appreciate a lot of the details that were in the movie. She just thought, yeah, the the fighting scene was cool, a lot of cool, you know, computer graphics and stuff, but it was was all right. And, And that's what it's like when you try to jump into a book like Joshua. Because if you read, really, the first two verses uh, of the book, it says this, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses assisted, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, go arise over the land uh, uh, or this Jordan and that you and all this people into the land and I, that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. So there's a couple of things that the Bible is mentioning. Moses, the people, The land, and if you have no idea what happened before this, it's like, okay, so what? Like, Joshua is an exciting book. It's packed with drama, packed with adventure. It's it's a lot of action, a lot of fighting, right? So we love these stories, but if we don't see how this fits into the grand scheme of the Bible, the overall story of God's story, then we can miss the point of, of Joshua. 
And so before we dive into the book and we dissect the different passages, what I want us to do is really understand the big story and understand how Joshua fits into this story. The, the word Bible, by the way, it comes from a Latin word called Biblia, and that literally means books. So when we say, okay, this is the Bible, we're saying this is books. Like it's a collection of 66 books written by 40 different authors on the span of give or take, you know, 1,500 years. So um, you might think, okay, these are random stories put together, but we see in 2 Timothy 3.16 that there's, although there's a lot of human authors, uh, writers who are involved in this process, there's one ultimate divine author, and that author's name is God. That God, throughout history, he's writing his story through different circumstances, in different timelines, in, in different places. He's unfolding his story, his love story. And that's why Joshua matters this morning. It's not just that this story happened thousands of years ago, but this is part of a greater story, which you and I are in it as well. So that's why this, this book matters to us. So in order for us to understand really the book of Joshua, we have to understand what happened, and therefore we have to go all the way to the very beginning. In Genesis 1 and 2, when we here, that God, he created all things, and he created life, and God designed life in a very specific, specific way. He had this perfect design where God says, this is how life should be. That's what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. And if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this down. You can summarize this life in four different ways. You see God's people in God's place, experiencing God's peace, fulfilling God's purpose. You see God's people, Adam and Eve, created in God's image, in God's place, this place called Eden, a place that has abundant life, that, that has everything that is good. It's a perfect place. So God's people in God's place, they are experiencing God's peace. They're not worried. They're not concerned about life. There's no threat. Uh, life is just good. They're experiencing God's peace. They are resting in their relationship with God. They are, they are enjoying God's provision, God's protection, um, God's presence. It's all there, and, and it doesn't end there. They're enjoying all this, but they're enjoying this to fulfill God's purpose. So God's people in God's place experiencing God's peace, but for the sake of God's purpose, which is to spread the glory of God to the ends of the, of the earth. We see that the mission, the vision that God has for Adam and Eve is not that, okay, you just live in this garden and enjoy the rest of your life. That's not the vision that he had. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. You were created in my image, my likeness, so go. Fill the earth. Declare my glory. Enjoy me and exalt me among the world. The whole earth, what God has intended from the very beginning is that the life that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden, that life would be experienced among the nations. That, that has been God's plan, but we see that that doesn't last that long because when you come to Genesis 3, we read that Adam and Eve, they weren't really satisfied with the life that God designed. So instead of enjoying all that God has given to them, they follow their desires. They neglect God's design. Rather, they rebel against God. And as a result, at one moment, everything is lost. No longer is there a place for them. They are kind of 
pushed out from the garden. No longer are they called God's people. Now they are enemies of God. No longer are they in peace uh, because, uh, because uh, they don't have peace with God. They're not in peace with God, so they don't have this peace in their life. They are constantly worried, constantly uncertain about what the future, and they are not fulfilling God's purpose. Instead of going out, sharing God's glory, and spreading God's glory, they are settling in a land. And that's the movement that you see from Genesis 4 to 11. Instead of spreading God's glory, you see the spread of sin, where people are rebelling against God. There's this endless cycle of sin. But the good news is that in Genesis 12, we see a man, Abraham, he is called by God. And God says, you know, Abraham, I'm going to make a promise. Genesis 12 says, well, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to create a people. And not only that, I'm going to lead you into this land, God's place. And I'm going to bless you in a way that whoever blesses you is going to be blessed. Whoever curses you is going to be cursed. Like, no one's going to be able to mess around with you. You're going to experience my peace. And not only that, through you, you being blessed, you're going to be a blessing to the nations. You're going to fulfill my purpose by carrying out my name to the ends of the earth. So we see what God promises to Abraham in Genesis 12. It's the same thing. It's not something new. It's exactly what God had intended from the very beginning. God's people in God's place, enjoying God's protection and, 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 and his peace, fulfilling God's purpose. And this was lost because of the fall, but now God is trying to restore this. You know, God is trying to fix what was broken. Abraham, he moves into the promised land, in the land of Canaan, and we see that he has a son. That son has 12 sons, and there's a lot of drama involved in this, but one of those sons ends up being the, the prime minister of the land of Egypt, and there's a great famine in the promised land. And so what happens is that by God's grace, they get to move uh, and immigrate to uh, Egypt, and for there they are growing in number. They are growing in strength, and the Egyptians, seeing that the people of Israel, they're growing, the descendants of Abraham, they're growing in number, they're like, okay, we got to control this. So they changed their immigration plan, and what they do is they, before, they were welcoming all these strangers, all these foreigners, now they're like, okay, we got to put them to work. You can no longer settle here, you're going to be slaves in this land, and so for 400 years, they are working. They are no longer in peace, right? They are not experiencing the peace of God. They are constantly being abused and misused, mistreated, and we see that God, out of his grace, he calls a washed-up old man named Moses, by the way, who has a pretty bad history. And he, God selects this guy and he says, I'm going to deliver my people through you. And so God, he leads the people of Israel out of Egypt. He calls his people. He says, I'm going to lead you to this promised land. And in that promised land, you're going to experience once again my peace and you're going to fulfill my purpose because when you live in my glory, the world is going to know that I alone am the Lord. And so you kind of see this unfold, and, and you might think, wow, that's a great thing that's happening, but you come to the book of Numbers, and something happens. Israel, they're right in front of the promised land. They, they can see, literally, the land of Canaan. And what happens is they send 12 spies. All 12 come back. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, says, well, um, well, we can go in. There are people who are occupying the land, the Canaanites, but you know, if the Lord is with us, then we can go and conquer that land. But the rest, the 10, they say, no, 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 no. There's no way we're making it into that land. Compared to them, we are like grasshoppers. And so because of that, because they did not trust in God's promise, 
Instead of inheriting the land, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And we see that the whole generation that came out of Egypt, except for Caleb and Joshua, they die. Even Moses, we see in today's passage, in the beginning of Joshua, he is dead. And you feel like, okay, all hope is lost. No longer is God you know, showing his favor upon his people, but God being so to anger and so merciful and kind and, and good to his people, he raised another leader and another generation. And really, if I can spoil the story for you, if you can quickly turn, if you have the Bibles open to Joshua 21, this is kind of how it all ends. When God leads Joshua and the people of Israel to the promised land, in Joshua 21, verse 43 to 45, it says this. Notice kind of the words that are here. It says, in verse 43, Joshua 21, verse 43, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land. So now God's people have God's land. And he swore to give them to their forefathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest, notice peace, on every side, just as he had sworn on their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. And I love verse 45, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. So when we sing, God is our promise keeper, that he makes promises and he keeps his promises, this is what we're talking about. God, not a single word it says failed. God made promises to Abraham. He fulfilled these promises. So we see in the book of Joshua, the people of God are in the land of God, and they are experiencing God's peace, and they are fulfilling God's purpose. They are experiencing life as it was designed to be. But then, a couple chapters later, we see in Judges something very interesting. Everything was good when Joshua was there, but in Judges chapter. 2 verse 10, it says this, And there arose another generation after Joshua, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So another generation comes up, and it says in verse 11, And the people of Israel did not did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. So you see, the people before the Joshua generation, the generation of Joshua, they wandered in the wilderness. They died because they were complaining. They didn't believe in God's promises. They never got to experience the fullness of life. You see Joshua's generation. And then after that, you see another generation after Joshua where, once again, they're living in sin. They're living in a way that's more driven by their own desires rather than God's design. And so now, once again, they are experiencing brokenness. They're experiencing life in a messed up way. And so right in between these two generations, you have the generation of Joshua that actually made it, that actually did a pretty good job, that actually believed in God's promises and they experienced all that life um, had to offer. And so the book of Joshua, in one sense, is, is a great kind of tool. It's kind of, it's kind of a blueprint or maybe a roadmap on how we can follow God as we are living in this journey of faith. Right? It tells us how we can be such a generation that experiences God's provision and his protection and his presence in a way that we experience his peace and fulfill his purpose. It's the roadmap to God's kingdom. And that's why this book itself is it's 
significant and also relevant to us. So what do we learn from the book of Joshua? There's two things that we have to remember on this journey of faith. How do we get to the promised land? In one sense, you know, our promised land is the kingdom of God, right? It's heaven. We are waiting for this place that where we're going to experience God's everlasting peace. And we're going to see that God, he has fulfilled all his purposes uh, through his people. And so that's what we're waiting. We are, in a sense, we're like the generation of Joshua where we are pursuing this promised land. So how can we live out this journey of faith? How do we become like the generation of Joshua rather than the generation before or the generation after? There's two things I want us to remember. The first thing is this, trust in God's promise. Trust in God's promise. God, he makes promises. He keeps his promises. If there's anything that the book of Joshua shows, it's the fact that God, he is faithful to his promises. And this is so encouraging because we live in a day and an age where there are so many empty promises. There are so many promises that are left on the table that we forget about, that people forget about, and we are broken because of these promises. We make the ultimate promise to a spouse and And a couple years down the road, we struggle to maintain that promise. We live in a world where everywhere we see there are broken promises. And we see that in the Bible, that God is working in a way that he is faithful and he is keeping his promises. I know it's really hard for us to believe all that the Bible says because we never experienced this type of of, promise keeping in our everyday life. But I'm telling you, God, he's on a different level. If he makes a promise, then he keeps his promise. I love what, what it says in the book of Joshua, just the passage that we read in chapter 21, the phrase that is repeated time and time again and throughout the book is that the Lord gave. The Lord gave the land. The Lord gave rest. The Lord gave peace. You kind of see this phrase over and over again. And, and Joshua, he's writing this book, but he wants to make it very clear. It wasn't because I was a great leader. It wasn't because I had all the information. It wasn't because I had the right military strategy. It wasn't because I was praying hard. I was reading the Bible hard. It was simply that the Lord, God, he gave us victory. He's the one who gave us peace. He's the one who gave us his promises. He's the one who did it. God did it. It's not that the people accomplished this, and it's not that they had a different strategy or they had made a better effort to to accomplish all this, the Bible is telling these people trust in God's promises. And when they trust in God's promise, they were able to see God's promise being fulfilled. When we inherit God's kingdom, so often we try so hard to make it into heaven, right? We try so hard to do what is good, do what is right, to our own effort, our own ways. And, and, and we're trying to do enough to go into heaven. What the Bible tells us, it's not about us doing enough for God. It's believing that God did enough for us. Believing that God, what he did for you and me on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ, that is enough for us. Believing that promise, you can move forward fulfilling God's purpose. So believe that God keeps his promise. The second thing that we see, how can we live out this journey of faith in a victorious way? Second thing that we have to remember, we need to follow God's leader. So we believe in God's promise, but we have to follow God's leader. Although Joshua, he was a great leader. He was courageous. He was strong. He, he sticked to God's word. But we see that he was a good man. He was not an ultimate man. We see after his generation um, that once again, Israel, they, they fell into this, this cycle of sin. But we see 1,400 years later, 
From this moment in the book of Joshua, we see a greater Joshua come to the scene, and his name is Jesus. Did you know that the name Jesus, which God gave to this, this person, Jesus, that name is a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua. So the Hebrew name Joshua in the Old Testament is, in Greek, is Jesus, so, which means, by the way, God saves. So when you read the book of Joshua, it is hard to disconnect it from Jesus, because as great as Joshua is, Jesus, he is the greater Joshua. He's the one who's strong and courageous. He's the one who keeps all the promises. He's the one who stays put in God's law. He's leading his people into the promised land. And so in this story, it is tempting for us to say, okay, I want to be like Joshua. I don't want to learn some of the good ways to, to live out my faith. But in this story, you have to always remember, you are not Joshua. I'm not Joshua. Jesus, he is Joshua. We are simply the people of Israel. All we can do is we can look at our leader, Jesus, and looking at him, looking at how strong and courageous he is, looking at how sinless he is, looking at how perfect he is in his ways, looking at how obedient he is to the Father, we simply follow him. And that's the secret of Christian life. It's not you figuring out all the answers, but it's you committing your life to the leader that God has provided in your life, and his name is Jesus. And when you follow his plan and his leadership, what happens, we see at the very end of the book, Revelation, God, he brings a new heaven and a new earth and a place. And in that place, you see a gathering, a multitude of people, God's people. And there's no sorrow, no pain, no tears. There are in, they are in perfect peace, perfect peace with God, and they're living in perfect peace, and they have fulfilled every promise, and they have fulfilled really the purpose of God where the earth is now filled with God's glory. So this morning, the question that we need to ask today is, do we want to be like the generation of Joshua? I'm not just talking about you individually, but as a church, do you want to experience all that God has planned and designed from the very beginning, life to its fullest potential? If we want to do that, we got to trust and believe that God, he is the promise maker and he's the promise keeper, that he keeps his promises and we have to believe that the leader that he gave to us, Jesus, he is more than enough. When we could not find our way, God made a way for us in Jesus Christ. So believe in him, trust in him, follow him today. Amen? Let's pray.